You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are here to talk all about science. Science! And we have a great crew to talk all about it. And Dr. Scott will be here. And he's being joined this time by Mike Faulkner, who we know otherwise known as Baby Mike on the show. And he's part of the Council of Mikes. So he's one of us. And he's, you know, been on the show many times. And he's also, you know, he's also a a rocket scientist. So it's kind of cool that, you know, we would have somebody here to talk all about that. So it should be a lot of fun. And, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon is here, too, to join us on that. Howdy! Do you count as a rocket scientist? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> not even a little bit. Okay. I was just wondering about that part. No, you know, uh, Oddly enough, you know, science wasn't... Uh, I mean, I was interested in science fiction. So I, I think by by just sort of being interested in that, I was interested in science as well, but not like... Yeah, I didn't excel in it in any sort of academic way. Gotcha. And that's the interesting thing with it is, you know, as you know, we both, you know, neither of us are scientists, but we have an interest in, you know, reading about what's happening with discoveries and science and, you know, new inventions. It's just, it's kind of cool in such a broad range that we can definitely talk all day about it. So it should be a lot of fun. And we definitely want to hear from you at home. So please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. want to also give a quick shout out and thank you to our patrons. That's right, folks. Our patrons are so valuable to us here at the ESO Network. And Earth Station One, of course, is a proud member. And, you know, the patrons at home are what makes the network tick and it's, you guys are growing and helping by supporting us and such. And I'm very happy to announce that as of June 1st, we are going to have a whole new Patreon. That's right. We are going to be, you know, offering new items for different levels. And, you know, some people will, you know, still have some of the great same benefits that they have currently, but, you know, other ones will be getting new things, including, yes, you at home, if you become a patron, yes, you can be a member of the ESO network and get to sit in the geek seat. That is right. It's so exciting. But then there's also possibility of even having dinner with the folks at the ESO network at DragonCon. You know, it's a great time to socialize with us in our way of saying thank you for supporting us. So there's all these different things that are going to be happening, and we'll be making the formal announcement on next week's show. So we'll tell you everything that's going to be offered, all the different levels, and it should be a lot of fun. And hopefully, you know, if you're not a member, why not? You listen to us. You take advantage of fully of us with the free show, and we love giving that to you. But wouldn't you like to listen to Earth Station 1 48 hours before? You know, you know, you can get it on Wednesday. We are available almost every Wednesday on our Patreon and then to the general public on Fridays. You know, just little bonuses right there. And you could also get Earth Station Who and the Dragon Con report, 
which is, you know, coming out this week. By the time you listen to this, our patrons will be listening to it also. I think that's pretty awesome. And it's going to be about to go public to the general public by then. So it's just a little bit of a perk for joining up for the Patreon. You could do it really easy. And for as little as 25 cents a week, you could help support the ESO network. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. And we do appreciate you. All right, let's get started with this week's rants and raves where we find out what's on our minds Something I've always wondered about you, Mike. I know you love, you know, comics. You love a lot of the sci-fi geeky stuff. What else do you get into? Are you? I know you and Michelle have huge, huge music libraries that you guys listen to and go see, you know, some live shows. And you also, you know, collect records and CDs and stuff. You know, tell us a little bit about that. I want to find out more. What else are you into? Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I collect way too much stuff. That's for sure. I have, uh, I have way too many, uh, collections and it's just crazy. Um, there's, you know what? It's interesting because, um, as far as music goes, I think, you know, I still get stuff digitally, but I don't really get a lot of, uh, um, uh, like CDs or, or, um, albums anymore i mean we like going to record stores sure but um i don't have a huge vinyl collection um i don't have a really great record player for one thing and two now that vinyl's hot again it's a little bit more expensive uh so um and you know i mean to me it's like i just i like to take the music wherever i'm going to be so uh it's just handy to have it digitally and um so I wouldn't say that uh, we have huge music collections, although we probably, you know, uh, do. Uh, but yeah, I think the problem is that we've got, we just collect too many things. I mean, I, I got, I used to collect in addition to comics and books and, and artwork and figures. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's Tiki mugs, of course, which uh, I've only really gotten into probably in the last few years um, just because of, um, uh, you know, it started out with like every time I went to a tiki bar, I'd get a tiki mug and then I would get another mug and then another mug. And now it's just getting crazy where, you know, uh, places like Mondo and Geeky Tiki's are putting out these targeted mugs, like for me, you know, like Star Wars mugs or, 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 uh, Star Wars tiki mugs or Star Trek or Marvel or whatever. Uh, Mondo's doing a great job, uh, with those as well. And, uh, it's hard, you know. Uh, my mom always likes to refer to my toys and uh, uh, tiki's and stuff like that as uh, dust collectors. And she's not wrong uh, because I do collect a lot of dust. Um, unfortunately, I don't have them in a nice, uh, nice case. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I don't need another thing to collect because I've got too many things to collect. I know some people will only collect one thing and they just, they're the, the master of it, you know, but who that's just not, not something I've been able to be able to, I've, I've struggled with it. Let's put it that way. Oh, I could totally understand that for, you know, for us, it's almost the same thing. You know, you've almost had to, for us, we've had to start paring down what we've been collecting. And for there's times when, you know, I would love, Oh, I need to get all these pop figures, but then it's like, Eh, maybe maybe not you know as you get older financially 
you would think, oh, I could collect everything. I get a paycheck. <laughs> but then life gets in the damn YA. <laughs> mm. That's that's the, the bad part about it. You know, I love going to, you know, spending times in UCD shops or used bookstores or like a place like uh, McKay's up in Chattanooga and always going there and, you know, being able to go f- pour things in. But, you know, like what Judy and I are po- doing right now is we're going through our cd collection and we're uh transferring everything to digital and you know putting it all on hard drives and we're gonna probably you know trade in all the cds that we have and you know just get you know credit maybe to get more stuff just so we can (laughs) right just so we can you know keep on building our libraries and stuff yeah you know we have we have we don't have Apple Music, but we have Amazon Music, and so we can hear any song that you want. But if you're in the car or something, it's nice to have it all on your phone or you know playlists and stuff, so you don't have to use data and such. Because you know some of us don't have unlimited data plans, <laughs> you know, because that gets expensive also. <laughs> but you know, I've noticed like for me i've had to cut back on things i've collecting you know i used to be a huge comic book collector i used to probably spend close to 50 bucks a week on comics at one point and it's very easy to do especially nowadays that's 10 comics not like how it used to be when i'd bring home like 50 like maybe 20 25 comics or something and, you know, when you had subscriptions and you followed all these storylines and such. Now, you know, like I know you also have been like switching to the trades. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much uh, mostly trades. I still get about, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 uh, that I'm getting like non-trade, non-trade form. Okay. But most everything else I'm, I'm, I'm reading trades. So, okay. That makes sense. But like I, everything else, I mean, uh, book-wise, comic-wise, music-wise, movie-wise, like anything that I like purchase, like my to-read, uh, you know, whether it's even like movie-wise and TV-wise, it's like it, now it, that's that I'm collecting stuff in my DVR, you know? Like, um, and, and I find that all of those things, I have a, there's a to-do list. There's like a to-read list or like there's a stack of things that I need to read, to need to watch, to need to listen to, blah, blah, blah. And that's just insane. Like those, those lists, like I don't even think if, I don't think I have to buy any more books or movies or anything like that for the rest of maybe this century. And I would have enough to listen to or watch and, and read. And yet I cannot go into a bookstore without buying something. I cannot, uh, you know, it's hard for me to go into a music store without buying something as well. It's just, uh, it's, it's kind of out of control really. Oh, exactly. It is completely sometimes, you know, especially if I go to a comic shop, cause I've, most of those are owned by, you know, small businesses and right. such. And I want to help support the small guy. And that's the thing that's interesting about it is when you get to the point of having, you know, going, oh, I don't really want to collect, pick up single issues. So I usually ask them, so what do you recommend to read? And I pick up a trade or something. And, you know, just to be able to say, hey, I dropped 15, 20 bucks here. And, you know, just to get, and most of the time I've read some really amazing stuff. 
And, you know, you also then find out, hey, I like this comic shop. They're actually giving me stuff I would actually like to read. People who give me, you know, the basic stuff and it's just like things, oh, are you reading Walking Dead? Are you reading, you know, and it's like, yeah, but, you know, and explaining to them what I've given up or what I've not stopped and I've stopped reading or things like that. It just, it's interesting to do. But, you know, but then, you know, when you have something like Record Store Day or something where they have the special edition releases or concerts or such, you know, because there's certain bands that I really love. And then when they put out something special for Record Store Day, it's just like, (gasps) gotta get it, gotta get it. And, you know, it's really difficult to say no to that stuff. Oh, it is. It really is tough. You know, it's but it's interesting, you know, if I think about it, what I've given up, you know. I'm not really, like I said, not really collecting comics all that much. Um, I have a PlayStation downstairs in our basement that I barely play anymore. So, you know, I even picked up, uh, was it Kingdom Hearts 3? And looking forward to it and everything, I just haven't had the time to play it. And it's just, it's tough. And, you know, trying to figure out time to read comics or read a book or, you know, music is for me, I can do that anytime. I could do that while I'm working while I'm, you know, cooking, while I'm, you know, cleaning house. And that's always a nice thing. And same thing with podcasts. You know, that's why we're hopefully everybody at home is listening to us while they're doing an activity or driving in their car. And of course we like to say, hi everybody. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) But, you know, it's just, for me, it's easy to do. And that's one of the things I love. You know, I, you know, we used to play guitar. I just don't really have time to do a lot of that anymore. And, you know, it's just, you just do different things and, you know, try to find as much time as you can to do the things and, you know, whatever takes priority, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I find that uh, a lot of us in the geek community and even outside the geek community, I mean, I know tons of people who, you know, collect stuff and and it's one of those things. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the geek seat. It's whatever you're passionate about. Right. I mean, some people collect sports stuff some people collect um you know uh, cars uh or you know they're working on a car uh that kind of thing or you know they they um there's a lot of other uh some some women collect shoes purses um and uh that kind of thing and uh i you know it's just one of those things where it is kind of interesting to find out like what what people do collect. And unfortunately mine is just, like I said, a lot of geeky stuff that I, I really am trying to get a handle on um, as I get older because I'm running out of room. No, of course. uh, Well, I know some people even collect, collect tattoos. Yeah. And I can't get to some of that stuff. Uh, Yeah. Tattoos is another one too, where a lot of people spend their money on tattoos. I I know, um, you know, every time I think about getting a tattoo, I'm like, I can't afford it because I'm, you know, I'm already buying comics. Well, exactly. You know, that's, it's like we had to put aside money for, you know, mine Judy's new tattoos that we're getting. And, you know, it's not like we're rich or anything or that our Patreon is going to buy tattoos for us or anything like that. <laughs> Cause I think the people at the station would kill me if I did that. Mm. But, you know, it's just like you say it's, but it's, a, it's a neat hobby that people do. And, you know, everyone has their own little thing. People, like you said, car, you know, fixing cars. Some people, you know, as their hobby, they, you know, they collect sports memorabilia or they collect, 
you know, they, their hobby is going to see different baseball stadiums or, you know, going to, you know, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's pretty awesome, you know, how much diversity there is out there and such. And, you know, it's just a little way I thought it'd be kind of cool to, you know, find out about you and me. So. Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, here it is. What, uh, this is episode 474 mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, of our run. And, uh, there's a, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it's amazing how little time in that over, you know, almost 500 episodes now we're working towards and, and very little do we get a really chance to just hang out and talk about ourselves. So. Exactly. And, you know, cause you know, we, it's all about us, of course, you know, we, that's why we talk about that. No, not really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, but it's interesting cause I would love, you know, we definitely should look at doing an episode where it's just us talking about, you know, different stuff. Sure. I think that would be a blast. Well, in order to, and, and actually as a, as an end to this segment, as far as collecting stuff, what is one of the prized possessions in your collection of everything that you have? What is one thing that you're like, if there's a fire, I'm running out with this. Oh, well, my ass, but you know, <laughs> um, that's tough because it depends, you know, I probably would grab my computer, you know, that's my prized possession because that has all my music on it. It has, you know, if I lose that, it, I also have, you know, family pictures and stuff. So yeah, probably something like my computer and my hard drives. Yeah. Well, I mean, almost everything should be on the cloud though, right? Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, that costs money, my friend. You remember that? Uh, You're not kidding. No. And, but it's interesting because, you know, that gets into the whole other thing, you know, how, you know, that's true. You know, there's, you know, I do everything, you know, collectible that I have can eventually be replaced. So, so there's nothing that you have in your collection that you wouldn't sell. Oh, I've, I've sold my collections in the past. Right. So is there anything that you're like, that is, is primary to you that you're like, Nope, I'm not selling this. This is, this is important to me. No. Wow. See, that's uh, I, I'm not at that point, man. Uh, I, I have uh, uh, some stuff that I definitely would would try to get out of here. Okay, uh, well, that's some, totally fair, though. Some items. Uh, there's a uh, there, and some of them are, you know, some of them are are valuable, but some of them are more personal. You know, obviously, um, uh, I think one of the things that I I, I hold most dear is a uh, uh, it's a coin uh, that I got at um, the the second San Diego Comic Con that I worked at. It was uh, done for, I think it was an anniversary of uh, the comic Grendel. And, uh, and Matt had got these coins made of, of the character of Grendel. And uh, he, was, he was selling those at San Diego. And um, I had had such a tough day getting set up because I, I, I I, it was my first time setting up at San Diego by myself. And it was really tough and uh, it was just not a fun day. And when finally the convention started and someone came to relieve me at the table, I was like, I know exactly where I'm going. Uh, So I went right to Matt Wagner's table and luckily he was there. 
And I was like, I hear you have these coins. I'm interested in getting one. And uh, his son was there as well. And his son said, um, uh, uh, well, he said, uh, Matt said, which number do you want? Because there was, I don't know, a hundred of them that they had that they had pressed. And they were all numbered. And he's like, which number do you want? And his son was like, get number one. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I can get number one. And uh, sure enough, I got number one. So uh, and he did a little sketch on it and everything like that on the packaging or whatever. And it just I don't know, for some reason that that was a that I had earned that coin that day. And uh, and that's that's kind of one of those things that's kind of special to me. And so I would definitely try to pocket that on my way out if uh, if I needed to. And I don't I can't see myself selling that at all ever. Um, and there might be some other things too. I'd have to think about it some more, but, uh, but that's the one that immediately comes to mind. No, it totally makes sense. And, you know, I'm, we've talked about this cause you also like getting autographs and such. Would you try to save those? Well, sure. I mean, if I had a chance, I mean, I have, I have some autographs and I have some autographs that some people who are not around anymore, you know, uh, my autographs of Leonard Nimoy, Adam West, um, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher, um, mean a lot to me, uh, not only because I got the chance to meet, you know, people who were important to me, but also the fact that I, I can't get those again, you know, uh, and those, those represent moments that I got to spend with them, even if it was just like 10 or 30 seconds, you know, um, it was a chance that I got to say thank you to them. And to to interact with them um, in a way that uh, when I was younger, I never thought I'd be able to. So so those kind of items. Sure. Yeah. Those those means those mean something to me, too. That totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Well, that was awesome, sir. Great. You know, sharing a little bit with each other. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment with ready for this, folks. We're going to be looking at science! Science! Michael Remy was ill the day the earth stood still But he told us where we stand And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We've got some really big movies coming out in theaters this weekend, and I do mean big quite literally, because it's time for Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now, if this movie is anything like the trailers I've been seeing, it's going to be really great. I have loved all the trailers they've done so far with their unusual but fantastic use of classical music. I mean, I would have never thought to have a Godzilla trailer set to Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but somehow it really works. It creates this eerie, interesting atmosphere, and I'm super hyped for this movie. Now, the interesting thing is that I actually wasn't the biggest fan of the previous Godzilla film. I mean, I had fun watching it in the theaters, and there were things I liked about it, but I felt like it didn't have enough Godzilla for being a film called Godzilla. I think that problem that I had with it is going to be fixed in the sequel because there's going to be so many monsters just on screen fighting at the same time. It looks like it's going to be over the top in the best way, and I personally can't wait to see it. already have my ticket. 
And for a complete change of pace in theaters, we also have the movie Rocket Man, which is the story of famous musician Elton John. Now, the interesting thing about this movie is that normally it might not be one that I would be rushing out to see in theaters because I'm not always the biggest fan of biographical movies. I think that sometimes they get hung up on trying to capture the story accurately, but also kind of heighten the drama. And you've got kind of this weird mix of trying to like make up some of the details, but also tell a true story. And sometimes biographical films can feel a little bit dry, at least to me, just just my own personal take. But what I've really enjoyed about seeing the trailers for Rocket Man is that it looks like they're going to take a little bit more of a fantasy spin on it, actually. It's like I believe there was one clip from the trailer where you see somebody playing the piano underwater. And I think that is a really great way to do this movie because you want to just capture, you know, who Elton John was, what his artistic vision was. And I think that this is a really great way to portray that on screen. So, of course, you know, maybe there probably wasn't really somebody playing the piano underwater, but this is a good way to kind of show his imagination. So I'm looking forward to it. It looks creative. I've been starting to see some good buzz. So um, I don't know whether I'll be able to see both these movies in theaters opening weekend, but they're both definitely ones that I can't wait to see. So hopefully they will be fun. And that's it for entertainment content this week. If you're looking for more box office stuff, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week, um, I'm going to be reviewing the new live-action Aladdin. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're inviting you to check out our podcast, The Earth Station DCU. We talk all things DC comics, television, movies, and news. We'll give you weekly comic recommendations and keep you informed on what's going on with DC TV and movies. We are part of the ESO Network. You can catch a new episode weekly on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is our science segment. And there is a lot to talk about science-wise. And of course, we have our science expert, Dr. Geek himself. Scott McGay is here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, sir. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And we also have one of the many council of members of the Council of Mikes with us. Mike Faulkner is here. Hello, everybody. Howdy, sir. How you been? Good. How you doing? All right, and uh, let's just get just dive right in because there's a lot of news, and I think the biggest thing, at least since we've last recorded, uh, was the announcement that uh, yes, the United States NASA um, uh, is going to pull a Ralph Cramden and bang Zoop a woman to the moon. Um, <laughs> yep. What? Let tell us more information about this. How is this a is this a really an official thing that's happening? Well, it's it's part of a, a series of uh, new initiatives to take you to the moon. There's going to be like a whole bunch of things that are going on. And that got uh, a little bit of press just because uh, it, it was, you know, kind of cool to have a, a female astronaut be the one to go to the moon this time. 
and you know and stuff like that. But there's like a series of things that are happening all at once. Um, there and it's this kind of this really kind of neat uh, working with private industry and uh, NASA doing its its thing. Uh, you know when uh, people started talking about privatization of space, uh, they were worried that there was going to be like you know the Coca Cola logo on the moon or. Uh, something like that. It, it may be Virgin Galactic might get there first. Um, but it seems like that right now, NASA and private industry are kind of working hand-in-hand hand to see how quickly we can kind of get back up there and get to the moon. So that's uh, really great. I mean, it, what it seems like is NASA is going to be able to focus on what it does best, which is a lot of the uh, know-how of how to plan a mission and what makes it successful and allow for the businesses to kind of work out the kinks on some of the, the new um, delivery systems and the like. You know, there's um, uh, it was to the the, um, the person at uh, Amazon was going to be sending up a probe that was going to have... Oh, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, yeah. He was going to send up a... Yeah, a, a their trip to the moon was going to send six rovers uh, and, and so forth like that. Uh, and then for the NASA trip with the, with the female astronauts, Part of that is the uh, lunar gateway uh, that they're going to be focusing on, which is kind of like uh, the ISS, uh, you know, version two, uh, but not as big. It's only at, uh, phase one is only going to be able to support uh, two astronauts uh, and and uh, a few uh, delivery vehicles down to the moon, uh, and then phase two will probably double that, and maybe make it uh, to five people at one time. Uh, you know, NASA has said that they don't want to bother making something as big as an ISS uh, at, for Lunar Gateway because they don't want to spend all their resources just trying to establish that because they already have a have a mandate to get to the moon and then get to Mars. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the the first female astronaut to the moon very well may be the first person to make it to Mars uh, just because they're halfway there. Interesting. So, yeah. so the goal is to use the moon and have a space station around the moon, uh, orbiting the moon to to build sort of a sort of a jumping off point. Or what's what's the goal? What do we what do we hope to get out of being going to the moon again? Uh, two things. One is uh, act as a sort of a base of operations uh, for building things that are going to go to Mars and so forth. Things that don't necessarily have to. Uh, escape uh, Earth's gravity from the start, right? Um, and that could be a big help because you use less fuel and, and so forth. And then the other part is uh, to actually uh, use the resources of the moon itself. But I mean, it's it's uh, this this lunar gateway is sort of a, a uh, truck stop, if you will. You know, you're gonna be able to send something from Earth. It's going to be able to attach. <laughs> you know, have a, a transfer of crew and resources. Some things will go, um, will uh, then send to the lunar surface, and some things will attach to other vehicles and go on to Mars and beyond. Oh, so yeah, so it's going to have the typical things of a like a truck stop would, like a subway and a weighing station, yeah, right? And a Wawa, right? Right. <laughs> right exactly. As long as it has good coffee, I'm fine with it. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, it, you know, and it's, that's the whole thing. It's like um, I. Uh, you know, in my mind, I think space stations, I think 2001, a space odyssey, right? And I, you know, something big and elaborate. And this is going to be more like, uh, uh, you know, a, a very elaborate tent that is, you know, has the ability to modularly connect to 
to other things, you know, and, and stuff like that. Because in reality, uh, you know, science fiction tells us one thing, but reality tells us, it, you know, it's not it, if they don't have to make it as big as they have to, they won't. Uh, just because of having to create a environment to support and all that other stuff, uh, you know, just doing what they're planning on doing is going to be a massive uh, resource uh, pool and and stuff like that. So they really have to think about what they're doing, and and if uh, it, saying that they're going to have the you know the first female astronauts on the moon, it gives them the the excitement that people need in order to get behind the program. Then all for it. I mean, you know, and, I, and it's not to the little, uh, the, the hard work those astronauts are doing. I mean, they're qualified regardless of gender. It's just that if that's what the uh, the media needs in order to get behind it, then fine, you know. Yeah, so I just, I just sort of have like this sort of this sort of uh, roll my eyes a little bit when I'm like, if she comes out there and sa- and steps on the moon and says, "This is one big step for womankind." <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the astronaut that does that, you know, that it will be more. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. A little you know bit. I mean? uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and leave that to the leave that to the, the trashy papers to do the headlines with that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I agree here. That's a great way to, to get the public back interested in space. I mean, we, we haven't been slacking off in any degree as to what we're doing in space with science and, and engineering and stuff, but there's something that's, that's kind of sexy about a moonshot. You know what I mean? Like right. putting, putting people on, an, on a body outside the, the earth, you know, like the moon and then going to Mars, that's going to draw a lot of attention. That's going to draw a lot of the next generation to, to space travel and make them kind of like what I was, you know, like I want to go to the moon, <laughs> you know, that well, exactly. Right. And it's also a chance for humanity to finally get out of low earth orbit for the first time in 40 years. Right. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. And, uh, you know, uh, we're all of a certain age. So for us, this is kind of the second time around going to the moon or at least to the, the, the idea that, okay, we've already been there. We should be, we should have already been to Mars. We should have been talking about going to, you know, IO by now, you, you know, but if that, but you know, whatever it takes to, to get excited about going beyond the moon, please let's do it. Well, that's one of the biggest disappointments I've ever had with, you know, science and such is the lack of us doing human spaceflight yeah. and such in our lifetime. And I remember before the Challenger dis- disaster yes. that they had planned, they had all these huge missions planned and such, but they started, you know, trying to focus more, I hate to say it, on war and, you know, the Cold War and such. And there wasn't anyone to really challenge the United States for space at the time. So it wasn't a huge priority. And then it's like when the challenger exploded, it was like the wind came out of everybody's sails. Oh, absolutely. And, and you are, you're absolutely right. You know, the, um, when challenger happened, there was such an excitement, you know, it was a, it was a civilian going into space. He was a teacher. This is, you know, everybody was going to be uh, tuning in. There were classrooms around the, the, the globe that were going to be doing the lesson plans and everything. It was so high profile and so uh, anticipated that when the Challenger disaster happened and that loss of life, uh, everybody went, "Oh my God, that's right. This is a risky business, isn't it?" Uh, well, you know exactly. It's it's, yeah. it's space. It's supposed to be dangerous, 
Right, but I think people forgot that. If that makes sense, I got. I think they got too complacent with what they were seeing. Uh, you know that, that we had these repetitive, successful shuttle missions, one way after another, and you know every one of them is a chance for things to go wrong a thousand ways. And it goes to the testimony of how uh, much the people at NASA and everybody involved tried to to you know not have that happen. Uh, so it's so it really it really sidelined uh, manned spaceflight for a generation. Yeah, it it uh, was really the the Chernobyl or the Three Mile Island of this of the space program. It, yeah, you know, a lot of it became complacency, not on the part of NASA. They've been doing you know amazing work, but you know, just the American public like, oh, it's a shuttle launch, big deal. Yeah, you know? and then then Challenger and Columbia, you know, kind of put it back in the spotlight. And, and like we kind of said earlier, uh, you know, with the corporations that are getting involved, I think that was what really lit the, the fire under a lot of people. Because as as low that I am to say, let's put it in the hands of big corporate corporates to, you know, make this happen, they kind of lit the fire and said, "Okay, your government's not going to do this. We're going to do this." And it kind of made us all sit up again and say, "Wait a second, wait, <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> now, I what now? <laughs> yeah." Mm. Well, I know for a fact that since like 1971 or maybe even earlier, the Hilton Corporation has had blueprints for a hotel for the moon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they fu- it's fully designed and ready to go. And, you know, they were planning on it. And it was a plan for a space station on the moon. And, yeah. you know, there's Japanese companies that have similar you know, for full space stations up on and moon stations. And they've had caverns plotted out already for where they can actually build these stations inside of that, you know, would help protect from radiation and such. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's pretty amazing. Man, this this gives me hope. I can be a space tourist before I die. (laughs) I'm so hoping it will be a reality, you know, and oh, you're, younger than, you're younger than all of us here, Michael. So. I know. I know. I'm, I'm not even in my forties yet. I'm like, I'm excited that I I'm part of the shuttle generation. I, I wasn't around for, you know, Apollo or anything else, but like my, my desire for, for space travel was, was really born with, with the, the shuttle shots. And I remember, I remember the challenger, you know, incident mm-hmm. that was, it was really a, an earth shattering kind of moment for me in my childhood. So the the promise that there's the possibility of of you know even space tourism even low orbit tourism you know sometime within my lifetime is is just mind mind boggling you know and I do, and I'm not when I talk about tourism I'm not talking about just taking a big airplane up so I could float for a minute or two right right, right. you I, want to experience space I want to see the Earth below me spinning you know yes. I yeah want, I want that as to be blown away by that that's that's truthfully, that's exactly what I want to see. Yeah, I want to make a, a Zoom call from the, the from the moon. That's <laughs> what I want. Want to want to broadcast an episode of ESO from the moon? Yes, that's yes. what I want. Episode one thousand three hundred and twenty-one. <laughs> hey, no, okay, you got right. You got write that number down because that number now is locked in. <laughs> right, uh, you, you have to you know. There's our countdown. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, you know, we just need a few more patrons. That's all. Uh, exactly. We'll exactly. Because the, the wonderful patrons will be able to, you know, help support us going to the moon. Yeah. Well, after all, yeah, we already have a space station. So, you know, we're already there. Um, <laughs> true, true. But the thing is, you know, one of the other great things since last time we talked to you, Scott, was yeah. the publication of the first picture from a black hole. 
Oh my god. Now was that not awesome? Exactly. It just looked like the eye of Sauron. It was awesome. <laughs> okay, so uh, the, uh, it was so funny. The, the the moment that that image was released and it hit the internet, I must have gotten like maybe 3,000 copies of it, <laughs> uh, in, in every version that you could possibly get. And people were busy doctoring it with images from Disney Black Hole, from uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, and everything like, like oh, you know, further detail shows, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I want to actually take a good look at the real thing. Uh, you know, that is uh, – and, 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 you know, what's funny about it is people are like, well, it's a black hole, right? I mean, haven't we known what this is supposed to look like? You're like, no, we had an idea of what they look like. We, we had a sense of what they should uh, look like. But this was at first a, a real good image of one. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. It was always yeah. an artist rendition of right. what a black hole would look like based off radio signals and such. And isn't it a little ironic that it actually kind of looks like what the artist's renderings were? I mean, they, you know, it's not identical. It's not, uh, it's not like the black hole from was it, uh, the Impossible Planet uh, from Doctor Who. Uh, or, but, I mean, or, it, or Interstellar. Or, or Interstellar maybe. or something like that. But it was still just fascinating to, to see something so powerful in our uh, in our universe, we affecting stars and planets and gravity and space and time, all what happening right there. And, you know, that moment captured, uh, it's just, it, 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 you know, it's a work of art. Uh, the know, only thing that's, you. the only thing that scared me about it was that little spaceship they saw orbiting it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't moved since you observed it, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. No, but isn't that isn't that amazing? I mean, uh, so so to, to kind of to, uh, to play off of that because I, I I've got this list of of topics and you guys are doing a great job um, uh, mentioning a bunch of them. But there was one here uh, where you know the Hubble uh, telescope captured two hundred and sixty five thousand galaxies in one image, uh, and it took um, information from sixteen years worth of data uh, stitched together. Uh, in order to just show what that looks like. And if ever you wanted to, you know, everybody thinks they know uh, what the universe looks like, but every time we send something up or have a little bit more technology, you get a slightly better view and you realize, oh my gosh, we are literally just a tiny little speck, aren't we? Uh, you know, and the fact that we can figure all that out and uh, and the fact that, uh, that this image of the 265,000 galaxies uh, shows us something that's uh, just about 500 million years after the Big Bang. I mean, that's you know, that's uh, I don't even know how to how to to uh, process that. That is pretty amazing. Yeah, and and yet that that happens, and you know, and uh, you know, the people at, uh, on the Hubble project, you know, put that together, and it's you know phenomenal. And you know, and meanwhile, uh, people post the next thing about their cat. You know, <laughs> it, it's just, you know what I mean? It's weird. So I really appreciate, you know, the, the science uh, moments here on ESO Network because it's kind of cool to talk about something uplifting. Yeah. yeah. Images like that really kind of put you almost in, in a place of, of, of thinking about what's out there. I mean, yeah. we, we, we are the only planet that we know of with life on it. And then you look at that, and you're like, 
there's got to be something out. Oh, there's got to be. <laughs> there's <laughs> something there. <laughs> there's got to be. Unfortunately, there's probably a you know a warning beacon around the Earth going you know attempt no landing there. Uh, you know, um, mostly harmless. The solar, harmless. The solar system <laughs> is now off limits. Right. Yeah, we're mostly harmless. I I, I love it. It, it. That's true, right? I mean that and the the black hole picture. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's just amazing to me that you know. I really hope that someday our society gets it together and puts it all together as one and goes out and explores. I know that sounds very Star Trek. I was going to say, all right, hippie. No. (laughs) No, I would rather, you know, there's so much to explore and so much we don't know. We don't know still half the things that's underneath our ocean. Oh, interesting that you should say that. That's a nice that. segue. That's yeah. a nice segue. Gee, I wonder why you might have mentioned that one. I have so- no idea. Go for it, Scotty. Well, um, recently we had yet another exploration of the Mariana's Trench. Um, and, uh, you know, with a, this next generation level uh, submarine, um, the, uh, Victor Veskov uh, piloted it down to 30. Um, it was at 10,927 meters uh, below the, the sea's surface uh, down to the floor of the Marianas Trench where he spent four hours and actually discovered, potentially discovered, because you, know, you have to go through and verify and all that stuff, but potentially uh, discovered four new uh, species that we d- didn't even know was there. And then you made another discovery that we'll probably talk about in a second. Um, I'm sure, but I mean, uh, unfortunately, the, the the discovery of of new life got kind of uh, uh, overshadowed by the fact that uh, he discovered micro elements of plastic and possibly a a piece long uh, big enough to have writing on it. Um, and I apologize. I really tried to research the rest of that story, but unfortunately, what ended up happening was the uh, internet sent like a hundred thousand copies of. Uh, you know, like plastic found at the bottom of the ocean, and that's all the information that they gave. It wasn't like a, a way to. I was looking for a picture of it. You know, hopefully he like snapped it, uh, a picture with his camera or something along those lines, because that would be a very powerful meme. Uh, but also to to find out more about how something from the surface made it down there that far. Uh, I'm just you know I'm just uh, really mesmerized by that because. You know, it, it, for us to deliberately get to the seafloor, it takes a lot of technology, and it's not easy, and it's very risky, uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, I, you know, I, I want to know more about how it happened, but it also, obviously, you know, not to, to to make light of the issue, but it, obviously, we're all connected, and uh, you know, and stuff that we have on the surface can reach anywhere on the planet, and that should give everybody pause, um, you know, and stuff like that. So, it's important that. You know, the discovery of the plastic was was mentioned, and it's very important. But also, like I said, four new species of life that you know he potentially also discovered. Uh, both of those are amazing in different ways. Yes, you know, one's uplifting, the other one's scary. <laughs> um, you know, and and uh, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I was trying to find out. Uh, it's very hard to. Uh, process check uh, and verify stuff that you find on the internet sometimes. I was trying to get an exact quote from uh, from his article and, and stuff like that, and I couldn't. 
uh, and I heard references to this piece of plastic with writing on it, everything from, uh, you know, a tiny little something that was indescript to a candy wrapper. Uh, and so I, I, I don't know what it is or what it was. Uh, if it is a candy wrapper, it's probably the most famous candy wrapper in the world at the moment. Um, and that's why I was hoping that there, there was some sort of picture that might have snapped or something. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I just couldn't. And so if anybody can find more information and wants to send it along, you know, send it to ESO and they'll send it to me, I would love to know more. Yeah, there's a uh, an interview with Forbes that, that he did um, where he talked about very vaguely what what the the material was. Right. Uh, they they asked him if he had seen some trash down there at the bottom, and he said that there was or a couple items. One was definitely like a square that could have been plastic, and then uh, one was a triangle, and and on that one it had a, a very sharp edge, so it was definitely man made. It had like a right terrible imprint of an S on it. Right. And how that turns into a candy wrapper, I don't know. So that's that's my problem with with the way uh, it got reported around the world. You know, obviously, people grab that for their own purposes and and to get the message out that we should not be careful, that we should be careful with our waste, uh, which is very important. But but like I said, I I read the Forbes article. He wasn't, uh, he made it sound like, yes, this is happening, but it's not the disaster that, you know, that, uh, the game of telephone makes it happen. You know, right. the, fifth, the fifth article you read, and I'm not trying to belittle anything or, or anything like that, but it's just like, uh, but the fact that there is man-made waste that can make it to the sea floor in the Marianas Trench. I mean, uh, how does that work? You know, is it catch a ride on a whale? Does it dive down? Uh, you know, what, how does that work? I would love to know because that just not only do we not know what's on our own planet, but how it all works. Uh, you know, we have so much more to learn about life here too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to get to some of the other items on your list, uh, Scott, in a second, but I want to ask Michael, since he's here, if he's had anything that um, he wants to like, it's, is is on his mind as far as new science discoveries. Uh, well, the, the, the last article really touched on something for me because um, my, my previous life, I was a, a, a engineer on a, uh, or, a submariner basically in the United States Navy. So like underwater is, you know, something I, I dealt with for several years. Uh, but along with that too, I, I'm really deep into nuclear science because as, as someone who qualified as an engineer on an, a, a submarine uh, and then went into work in the nuclear field and in the more commercial side, um, you know, that, that always pops up on my radar, something that's important. And I noticed that um, the three mile Island, uh, we had talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, they're actually going to close. They're going to close that nuclear power plant. Uh, a lot of it is due to cost and, and, you know, regulations and stuff. And one thing that came out of that was another article about uh, what the future looks like for nuclear power. And there's a, a company out in Oregon called New Scale. Uh, what they're doing is they're trying to get away from the, the trend of building uh, nuclear plants uh, that, are, that are economies of scale. They're large because they have to be because you want a giant reactor to put out a lot of power. Um, they're trying to do something with with small modular reactors where they're going to line up, you know, 12 of these things in a row, basically, uh, be able to port them from place to place, um, make it so they're a lot safer than than our current you know models are and really try to make it more affordable to to have nuclear power. Because a lot of people see nuclear power as as one of the futures of our of our energy landscape. 
Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I thought that it was really interesting to see, you know, how, how they're working to make the future of nuclear energy, not only safer, but also smaller and cheaper and easier to run, you know, in a smaller footprint. Yeah. It was right. really interesting though. Cause when we were up in the Northeast on vacation and, you know, we were up in like Boston, we were outside of Rhode Island. We were up in Maine. We noticing all the windmills. Mm-hmm. And the turbos, and it was just amazing to see how much they had up there. And the, even in, in right side, outside of Boston, in the city areas, they had them. And it was just, you know, awesome to see. Is there really a future that possibly wind power and such? Uh, there, there is a future, I think, with wind power and solar power, solar power and hydropower. Um, the biggest thing, though, is that. They, those technologies honestly have kind of stalled out a little bit because we we kind of chase where the where the economy is you know like mm-hmm. uh, you know coal was a big thing and the natural gas has really taken off and that's that's a really a lot, a lot of the impact on nuclear is because it, it takes as we know from down here in Georgia you know we're building a couple of new power plants here it 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 takes a long time for a nuclear power plant to come up to speed you know from from ground up to to fully operational uh, and a lot of the pursuance of the you know of of natural gas and then everything else it it, it put uh coal or um solar and hydro and wind kind of in the back seat and so you can't really get the same amount of power on the grid in in the same kind of footprint you know if if you know what i'm saying there yeah it's the economies of scale just aren't there and so I, I think there needs to be a lot more research done on on how to make those more efficient and more powerful but I think there is, as you see from from Germany and, and in Japan, you know, they're they're transitioning more into the renewable side of the house, right? And in, in fact, uh, Germany and France uh, made a major in, uh, investment in nuclear power, and they have several aging plants that they need to either retrofit or change, or maybe make the decision to switch to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this new technology. You know, uh, thankfully, we're not the only one looking at it. So we can see how, how it works uh, in other countries, too, and kind of learn from that, too. Yeah. Very cool. What's, uh, what's something else that's on your, on your list, Scott? Okay. Well, let's see. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things we like about talking about science is to get that awareness out there that anyone can be a scientist, uh, right, in that – which kind of challenged the idea of, you know, what a scientist is. And I know that that's funny coming from the guy who wears a white lab coat with a uh, rainy specs and all of it, uh, you know. But there is a, uh, a database called Request a Scientist, uh, which now has more than 9,000 women scientists uh, included in their database. Uh, and so it's uh, projects like that that uh, kind of get that awareness out there. So that was kind of cool to see that they were – uh, get, getting some uh, notoriety in the press and trying to get that out there and uh, to make sure people knew about that. Uh, let's see, what, something else that I have on here. Oh, yes, that um, the uh, Universal Translator has made a step forward. Uh, Google AI just um, did a demonstration about uh, how it's able to translate uh, speech into your own voice. Uh, and the demo that they have on the article that I shared on the Think Tank uh, group and and so forth. It's it's funky because it's clearly your voice, but it lacks um, uh, some of the spontaneity of your voice. And they actually talk about how 
that's part of the problem because you want to be able to capture those pauses and the energy in the response. You know, it's one thing to say, hello, my name is Scott. And it's another thing to say, hi, my name is Scott. And, you know, to tell whether or not I'm happy or sad and, and stuff like that. And so uh, it, the, the algorithms that the AI is using to be able to do that are ones where they're trying to make the translation as few steps as possible, trying to take the, the, the waveforms and make that translation without actually going from waveform to text back to waveform. How long of a translation is it, though? You know, how does, long does it take? Oh, it's uh, you know, it's it's seconds. I mean, it's almost real time, depending on your process, depending on your connection speed uh, and, and stuff like that. But um, how accurate it is uh, right now is uh, still in debate because uh, they've done a lot with Spanish and they've done a lot with English. Uh, but uh, it, you know, the uh, like Russian and or Japanese. Uh, that will take a, uh, a lot longer. You know, stuff that's more tonal uh, will be harder to do. But uh, r- right now, it's able to do uh, Spanish pretty well. That is awesome. But it's yeah. interesting because Siri can't even understand and translate my text. <laughs> right? Oh, into, my gosh. You know. Oh, my gosh. I'm sitting there going, you know, play The Hobbit. What? Play The Hobbit. What? You know, uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm not so sure about, you know, <laughs> nuclear war was caused by Google Translate, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and then, uh, let's see, uh, some of the other things, uh, again, going back to space a little bit, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, what, what do we know and what can we expect? Uh, the Juno spacecraft of Jupiter's magnetic fields uh, you know, um, they've discovered that uh, Jupiter's magnetic fields change just like Earth's. And somehow that made a headline. And I looked at that one, well, isn't that kind of what I would expect? It's, an, you know, another planet in the solar system just like Earth. Yes, it's not exactly composed like Earth, but, you know, a magnetic field is a magnetic field. So it's kind of, sometimes when you get a, uh, a revelation like that, it's kind of nice to know that there are consistencies with the universe and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so that was, uh, again, uh, one of the little articles. And then the last two that I had on my list were a little funky. Uh, one was uh, a theoretical article about how we could move the uh, Earth out of its orbit. And I looked at that and went, why would you want to? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, right. I, I, you know right, what, what is going on with this? I mean, what, you know, are you so bored? And have you not seen Space 1999? Uh, you know, it doesn't go well. And, and so this, I read this article and it went for pages and pages about different possibilities about how you could push the Earth out of its orbit. And basically the only one that's actually even remotely, and I don't use, I use this term loosely feasible, would be to use asteroids and near, uh, near Earth gravitational slingshots that could push the, you know, the Earth and get the momentum and the energy necessary to push us out of orbit. But that is just like, you know, that, but that's crazy stuff, right? But if, if if a thought project like that leads you to some other discovery, then I guess that's okay. I just, you know, I like the Earth where it is right now in the Goldilocks zone. Uh, you know, we have enough problems with other problems. We don't need to, to uh, be changing that. And then the other article I came up uh, that I saw that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on was talking about the colonizing of the moon uh, and other planets. Like I touched on it earlier. Uh, and and 
Mike Saber, you, you mentioned about how Japan had already kind of planned out how they could burrow into the caverns to protect against radiation and the like. Um, this article that I came across was talking about how uh, really we, we shouldn't be thinking about colonizing planets because that's too 19th century thinking that we should, that, you know, it's, it's too, uh, you know, first world um, globalization, you know, we, 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 you know, it's bad, it's evil, uh, and it's not very economical, and that we should try something like Dyson Spheres. And, and I just kind of sat there and blinked and went, okay. So nobody who wrote this article knows just how, about how colonizing of another uh, body in the solar system is going to replicate the, basically the same steps as a Dyson sphere. Uh, you know, you're still going to have to send, um, you know, tubes out into space that people are going to have to live in for a couple of years before you can descend to the surface. Then you're going to have to build an enclosure that you're going to be able to live in that can either burrow into the surface or these other things. I, I you know, it was just, I, I went through the, the list in my head and went similar, 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 similar. I think this is an argument for argument's sake. I, you know, and, and the, uh, the title of the article was like, you know, sci-fi uh, leads us to the wrong conclusion about colonization. And I'm like, eh, I don't think it's sci-fi. I think the fact that, uh, you know, somebody who needed to, to write an article and pay their rent that month. Uh, it, it was kind of a weird, uh, a weird thing. But what do you guys think? Would you would you want to live on a uh, a colony on Mars, or would you want to build something like a Dyson sphere? I, I, well, I was going to say a Dyson sphere sounds a lot more a lot more resource intensive, honestly. I Doesn't mean, it? <laughs> that, that was my <laughs> that was my thought. You're, you're talking about an entire enclosure at the at Earth's orbit around the the sun. Uh, right. Versus putting you know some domes down on on Mars, which is not a trivial thing, but you know then then building up a city around that and 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 building a community, which uh, by the way is going to help us just in case those asteroids that are going to knock us out of orbit actually hit, uh, because right. we'll have people who are not on the planet at the time and thus survival of the species. But I digress. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, it's just. Uh, the, uh, you guys know I try to stay positive and 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 uh, forward thinking and 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 you know realize that there's a solution for most problems and stuff like that. So uh, when I see you know uh, an article designed to create bickering, I just kind of really sour at it because it's just silly. Uh, you know all those the, all the choices that, that the guy was talking about. Uh, are going to require, like you know, Mike has said, to get our act together and to, to have a, a common future for humanity. Uh, so whether it's a Dyson sphere or colonies on Mars or the moon, whatever, I don't really care which one it is. <laughs> but most, but most likely you're going to see, like, Mar- you're on the moon or Mars, you're going to see Japanese bases. You're going to see yeah. China bases, American you're going to see Indian, you're going to see Russian, you're going to see, you know, all these different at, at first. Yeah. But then they're going to start realizing, Hey, if we pool our resources, we can expand more. And such. Yeah. yeah. Well, once, once you, and this is a little bit of the history repeating itself. Once you get out there and have a colony that is self-sustaining, uh, then, you know, they're going to start thinking of themselves as different from earth, you know, one way or another, eventually that will happen. Sure, they'll become, you know, their own, 
their know, own thing. Exactly. You know, why yeah. should we have the people of Earth, you know, basically rule us or right. control our society when, you know, we have our own thing going here, you know? Right, right. Uh, you know, and in, so in that case, hopefully we can learn from the past a little bit better than we, you know, did the first time around. So it's, uh, but so I think it's hopeful. And I, I don't know, like, like I said, I, I saw that article and I'm like, oh, come on, guys, we can do better than that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And I need you to write a top 10 article this week. Can I do Dyson Sphere instead? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh my I don't know. If I, if I have the choice, I'm going to go with the Genesis device. Oh, right? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, it can do it in six exactly. seconds, right? Why <laughs> spend all that time building a Dyson Sphere when you could just, boop, have an instant planet in, in a, in a right. day? Just well, uh, unfortunately, you use protomatter in the Matrix, and so it's unstable. Right. Uh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> Yeah, the, I heard this guy named Khan wants to borrow it, though. Right, right, right. He, he wants to. It's it's intended to be used on a uh, planetary form, so we're going to ignite it in a nebula. That'll work. I, I'm actually surprised that the Genesis device was able to gather enough material to make a planet out of the Matara Nebula, but that's okay. Um, you know, uh, anyway, sorry. Super <laughs> that's what this is for. Yes. <laughs> So, um, any other any other stories or things that are happening out there that are pretty exciting? Uh... Well, yeah, um, uh, SpaceX uh, launched uh, sixty Starlink satellites uh, in, uh, recently, uh, and that's part of a project to create twelve thousand of them in orbit to create a high quality internet around the planet. Uh, so it's sort of the internet in the sky? Shall we call it Skynet? I, I don't know. Um, but it, it's that Sometimes idea. I don't think it's going to end well. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> How many movies have we got to tell us that now? <laughs> yes. But, but see, what I like about this, though, is that it's one component of uh, the future that everybody seems to kind of ignore. I mean, they, they focus on, like, the communicator and the fact that, you know, the Enterprise crew can can – use that to communicate with anybody almost regardless of where they are, right? There's not a distance problem. Uh, you know, like, oh, oops, the, the Enterprise is on the other side of the planet. We can't communicate for another 10 minutes, you know, or, or something like that. You know, there's nothing like that. Um, and that's partly goes to things like wireless uh, energy charging for the devices to, a, you know, a, a really super Internet signal. And... So something like the, the Starlink satellites, if it can create a uh, uh, internet coverage from around the entire globe, then that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it also has its uh, problems. If you ever want to completely unplug, uh, you know, you'll never be able to say, oh, "I'm sorry, I can't hear you call," or, or, or you know, completely ignore your phone anymore. I suppose that could be a bad thing. Um, but uh, I, I still think that it's a cool project. Absolutely. Well, I think I think it is because this way would also would take away any kind of internet regulation from any certain country or businesses. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And it would basically make internet available to all. Yes, absolutely. And they would then you know oh wait this country has high speed internet where this country doesn't have you know these basically countries don't have anything and it would basically make it a level ground for everybody. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. And 
uh, and it, it, it would be, uh, it could be an eye opener to a lot of, uh, a lot of people around the world. So, but and, just, and, just, and always just that, imagine Scotty yeah. just, and I was talking about this at this cookout I went to earlier, we were talking about it. Just think about how many people in rural areas who don't have that great of an education. Now they have access right at their fingertips to the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't have to, you know, be, you know, if they want to get, you know, learn, you know, how to do something, it's right there at their fingertips. They don't have to go, you know, oh, you can't learn that because you have to go to school to do it or trades or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's all going to be available to people in in you know if into africa into countries in you know lower asian countries or whatever it's just going to be america even rural america mm-hmm. in- oh, it's it's very important and in, in fact this is sort of the 21st century version of the rural free delivery uh concept you know um which we you know we had in this country with the idea of the uh, of the free uh postage to, to encourage the rural communities to be able to have access to communication lines with the rest of the, of the country. And in, in this case, it's, it's not only the educational aspects that you talk about, but also things like for doctors to be able to uh, see their patients, you, you know, maybe uh, do a virtual co- uh, consultation or maybe use a roboticist uh, to do an examination. Uh, there's all sorts of different uh, tools and technologies that Doctors Without Borders are currently using um, and that, you know, where it's possible. And there's even... Uh, some talk about how you could uh, have, uh, you know, you know, for like the elderly and stuff like that, have uh, a um, an AI uh, assistant that can kind of monitor everything and then let the doctors know if something if a, if a reading goes awry and you know, an alert, and then be able to the doctor be able to get a, you know fast, quick uh, connection. So that that's it, it. It it has so many more bonuses than the potential uh you know skynet reference i made at the beginning well this is also really exciting too on the global scale because it was it was three years ago almost almost in the month now um that the united nations declared that internet access is a basic human right and three years ago we were all kind of saying okay well how does that work yeah how does that happen well now (laughs) here we are yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah it is it it took a while to figure that out and 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 you know this goes back to uh, you know, part of the problem with uh, the stalling of the of the American space program, you know, we did a lot with, like you said, we've done a lot with satellites and doing a lot with rovers and, and stuff like that. But this sort of, you know, private enterprise launching the satellites, I mean, you needed something like SpaceX in order to make that possible because it wasn't a, a high priority for NASA. Uh, they're more for science for science sake, and that's not a bad thing. But it does mean that you know, rather than three years from now, you know, three years later, it could have been fifteen years later or, or twenty years later. Right. Well, and you know, I I, I for one certainly hope that uh, you know the more people who have access to the internet will have access to our show, so they can listen to us all the time. Yes. That's That's why we can get more science segments. Exactly, because I'm afraid this one is run out of time. But uh, thank you, guys. It was nice to get an update on all things science. Science! Science! And and we'll be right back with the ESO Network Con Report. We blinded with science. 
Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about John Wick Parabellum. So going into this film, I was not sure really what to expect. I figured there would be a lot of fighting because it's a John Wick film. And I definitely got that. I also got a little bit of storyline, which is good since it's the third movie in the series, and I went in thinking it was the last one. I did not expect it to end the way it did. The final scene with Lawrence Fishburne had me like looking at my watch going, wait, how long is this movie? Since I thought there was going to be a whole other act going on, not the credits. It was actually quite funny to me and good on you for having me so engaged in the story by the end of the movie that I thought it wasn't over. So the fight scenes were straight up fantastic. Amazing. I do think they overused the glass mirror room a little since all the other fight scenes were super amazing and beautiful without any weird gimmicks. But even with the crazy mirror glass room aside, it was still amazing and so neat and kind of like squirmish to watch. I know the audience in the movie theater for some of the scenes where he was stabbing people in the head were like, uh, and screaming and stuff. So that was really, really funny to hear too. I wasn't seeing the ending betrayal and I'm really interested to see what the fourth installment of the film will bring us. I am really hoping for the same cool fights because John Wick film, but also more storyline to either finish the series out or keep it going. Just not fight after fight after fight with a little story. However, that did work really well for this film with how they ended up finishing the film out for part three. So no shame there because the gratuitous fight scenes were fantastic and you should go see it. If you are a fan of the first two John Wick films, you will like this one. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Hey everyone, welcome back for the week of June 1st. Oh my God, it's here already. It's the ESO Network Con Report. It is. It's. We're almost halfway through the year. We're in June, man. Uh, and in June, uh, there's not a lot, but uh, June 14th through the 16th is Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I will be attending that event. Uh, I will not have a table, so. Uh, but if you do uh, want to say howdy, uh, and uh, if you're going to be at Heroes, let me know, because uh, I love walking around and visiting with folks. And uh, I'd love to uh, chat with any listeners and that are going to be there. I, it's a really great show. I haven't been there in a few years, so I'm really looking forward to spending some time up in Charlotte at Heroes. Um, then we've got a couple of comic conventions or comic cons happening in July. July 12th to the 14th is the Atlanta Comic Con. That is at the Georgia World Congress Center. And uh, Mike and I will be there on Saturday, and then we will be hosting a couple of panels. Mike, are we allowed to say what those panels are yet? Uh, not yet. 
Okay. Uh, we haven't so, gotten the final, but we will be there on Saturday. We will be there on Saturday hosting panels of To Be Determined. So uh, watch this space for more information. Uh, we're looking forward to returning to the Atlanta Comic Con. And then just a couple weeks later, July 28th, is the Atlanta Comic Convention, which is a one-day show uh, here at the, um, uh, I believe it's at the Marriott uh, was that called the Marriott Century Center? Is that Mention, right? Atlanta Marriott Century Center, right yeah. off of I-85 and Claremont Road. Yeah, and that's a good time. It's a one-day show, and Mike and I will probably be there. Um, again, not having a table, but uh, we will – at all these shows, we don't have tables, but we'll be wandering around and, and doing stuff. So if you're going to attend any of these shows and you want to reach out to us, please say howdy because uh, we like going to conventions, and we like talking about them, too. Now that I've finished talking about the events that are happening, uh, coming up, uh, we want to talk about a big event that happened uh, this past weekend. And unfortunately, Mike and I could not attend, but uh, our, our friend Raven was there. Raven, welcome back to the station. It's good to be back. And uh, yes, I'm talking about MomoCon, who now I understand this one was pretty huge, over 39,000 attendees. Uh, over four days. I guess this is the 15th year of uh, MomoCon. Uh, how long have you been going, Raven? Uh, I have been going to Momo since 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've been off and on for, I think I've been about five or six years. So, um, so yeah, unfortunately I couldn't be there. So you'll have to tell us exactly how it was. How, how, how did you enjoy MomoCon? Oh, uh, it was great. Like, uh, it seems like every year the crowds keep getting bigger, which is awesome to see, uh, considering what it came from at the uh, Georgia Tech Center. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that we have the World Congress Center now that we can grow into instead of like being compacted into the Georgia Tech Center. Um, but yeah, this year was awesome. Like there were so many great costumes this year. And, like, the vendor hall seemed a little bit bigger, a little more fuller, but there was still more space for us to walk. Um, and the game room was definitely bigger. There was so much more this year because I managed – I didn't spend a lot of time in the media room this year because I wanted to get out and see everything. And plus half the guests that were there, I was like, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in there on Friday with Patrick Warburton. Um, that was very pretty nice. Cool. Very nice. So, what, what, what was is he there like promoting anything in particular, or? Um, I think they were saying he was just there to like have fun and meet the fans, which was pretty cool. Uh, he was very nice. Uh, I li- I actually live streamed that on the Instagram page, uh, but I'm not sure how the quality was because the internet kept going in and out. Um, because <clears throat> uh, in the press room we have our own. Uh, Wi-Fi to bounce off of. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, then- I I did appreciate. Uh, yeah, for those people who don't know, uh, Raven took over our Instagram account, the ESO Network Instagram account for the weekend, and posted various pictures and and streams. So we appreciate that. That was since we couldn't be there, it was good to have you make us feel like we were there. Yeah, and I still have a lot more photos to post on there. I just don't like posting like one right after the other because then those posts don't get seen uh so i've been like spacing it out and like i'll probably continue until i get rid of all the photos i have be like throwback to MomoCon. this is what you missed (laughs) (laughs) um and then saturday was pretty cool because when i was i 
I went into the media room at least once or twice during the weekend. Uh, on Saturday, I went in for uh, Keith Silverstein, who he does a voice on Overwatch. I can't remember the character. And he does a lot of other stuff. But I know him from Miraculous Ladybug. He is the voice of the villain, Hawk Moth and Gabriel Agress. Um, and it was really funny because Saturday was our Miraculous Ladybug photo shoot. So I was in full Marinette. And, like, I immediately had to leave the shoot to go to the media room to do the interviews. And, like, I was sitting front and center. He comes in. He sits down. He's like, you look familiar. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But he was super nice. And, like, I asked a few questions about the show and, like, what he liked on it. And uh, afterward, I did some photos with him in front of the Momocon banner that we do and I posted those photos and uh, I wondered the con um I was like taking pictures of everybody like the biggest uh, I would say the best costumes I saw all weekend uh, there was a guy in a full mascot Scrooge McDuck that made my day Like, (laughs) I was like, this is my childhood, and this guy is amazing, and I love it. So that was pretty cool. I saw the the picture that you posted of that, and some other people, some other friends of mine posted pictures of him, too. So he must have been either in a very, very central location, or he got around in that outfit. I mean, he got around, because, like, I remember on Saturday, uh, before, you know, heading back to my friend's house, we were in Centennial Olympic Park shooting some uh, photos and he was outside in that heat. And I'm just like, dude, you <laughs> were going to roast. But apparently I stopped him and I was like, what are you doing out here? You're going to, you need to go back inside. He's like, Oh, I'm going to my hotel. I'm like, you're walking to your hotel in that costume. Take wow. the head off. He's <laughs> 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 like, I was telling him, I was like, you know, you need to wear like a camel pack under your mascot suit so you have water, like that you could run up through your mask. So that way you stay hydrated and you don't die. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, yeah. Now, you said that you were, uh, what you were wearing on, on Saturday. Were you in costume on Friday as well? Um, I was casual. I think it was casual Raven. No, casual Raven was Thursday. Um, because I've retired that version of Raven that I do mm-hmm. um, because I'm working on uh, probably a spoiler alert, but at Dragon Con, you will probably see me in Uncle George's version of Raven. Uh, you know, George Perez. Uh, Excellent. I am doing his version of Raven for Dragon Con this year. Um, so I was doing casual because I was going to do like, some of my bigger stuff, but because of the heat index, I was like, I don't want to do that. So I was casual Raven on Thursday. And then I was supposed to do Ariel because I had just finished um, the kiss the girl outfit on Friday. But I packed my wig, I packed my corset, I packed my shoes, and I forgot my dress. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. But I ended up doing um, Cara Danvers on Friday. 
since, you know, working for CatCo, she's a reporter anyway, so it worked. Excellent. Yeah, it was a casual car Danvers. And then Saturday, I was a Marinette from Miraculous. Um, my Adrian actually had a hat that they hand embroidered, um, like the one that she makes on the show. And... <laughs> added like that old school press card to it <laughs> so i was wearing that on uh, saturday and then sunday i was just so exhausted i was like i'm gonna be casual today i, I don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah well awesome well what would you say it was uh the um uh your favorite event over the weekend oh um, honestly, I think like my favorite thing about the whole weekend was getting to meet, uh, Keith Silverstein as Marinette, um, and getting to have that interaction. And it was really funny because, uh, my Adrian didn't know that he was there. Uh, they had no idea who the voice actor for Hawk Moth was until I told them. And I was like, yeah, you know, your dad's going to be here. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, Gabriel Agress is going to be here. He's like, what? <laughs> so we went to, uh, I had asked Keith where he was because I had looked around the whole convention trying to find his table. I could not find it. So in the media room, I was like, hey, where are you at? Like down there at the Walk of Fame because I looked and I couldn't find you. And he told me you know, where his table was. He told me that he was doing a signing at 530. So I was like, okay. So we went and waited in line um, for his signing. And I, uh, my Adrian was like, I'm just going to get him to sign my badge because they were doing a free signing for a personal item. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want a photo of all three of us together since it's like from the show. So I ended up paying for a selfie with him without telling my Adrian until we got there. And my Adrian was like, stop spoiling me, like, stop buying me things, stop doing this. I'm like, do you honestly think I'm not going to let you get a photo with the voice actor of the character? Or <laughs> the voice actor who plays your father, you know, type thing. And it was so great because we had baked croissants to give to all the Adrian and Kat Mark cosplayers at the shoot. And we had some left over and we gave some to the voice actor. <laughs> And he was like, oh, my God, I love croissants. <laughs> Who doesn't love croissants? I love croissants. I love croissants. They're delicious. <laughs> well, cool. Well, it sounds like you had a amazing time once again. And like yeah. I said, we appreciate all the images and the streaming that you did. So, um, And uh, I already know that next year that they announced that uh, MomoCon 2020 will be um, uh, in, uh, May 21st through May 24th. Uh, at Georgia's World Congress Center once again, but they will be moved to Hall B instead of Hall A. So uh, it's got a, it's even a bigger. I guess it's twice as large as Hall A. So so they yeah. are they're moving and expanding already. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So I didn't even know that. <laughs> absolutely. So we will um, have. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you there next year. Uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you there next year. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely.
that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here. Dr. Scott, it was awesome to talk a little science with you. Oh, it was awesome to be here. Thank you guys so much. It's such a great honor. Anything you want to shout out about? Well, actually, uh, Anacrocon in Georgia uh, has invited me to be their new science track director. Uh, So, yeah, uh, kind of, you know, went to the last Hulanta recently, and it's always sad to see one of your favorite uh, conventions retire. And I wasn't really in the market for uh, a new con, uh, but while I was there, um, it was so funny. Uh, they came up to me and said, you're the science guy, right? And I went, no, actually, that's Bill, but that's okay. Um, hi. And, and, they, and the, they, they said, well, um, we're looking for someone to take on our science track, and uh, we've seen you here uh, many times, and would you consider doing it? And uh, uh, Debbie and I talked it over and, and stuff like that. So starting with uh, this coming uh February 14th, uh, 2020, uh, I'm going to be in charge of their science track. Science! Yep. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. Congrats, my friend. You thank deserve you. it. Uh, thank you. Well, I couldn't have done it without the ESO and Hulanta or Time Geek back in the <laughs> when it was, because that's really how all this started for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is very, very true. It is true. You know, that's where you got your start. Yep. Yeah. All those years ago. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, uh, so much there. <laughs> and of course, Michael Faulkner. Thank you, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a it was a blast to talk about uh, to talk about science. Kind of get back into the into my roots. Uh, you know, it's been been a while since I've had the chance to geek out about you know just hard science stuff. So it's, it's fun. It's so much fun to talk about too. Oh yeah. So it's like uh, in my heart, I just like you know. We're all science geeks. Well, and see, my, my background, too, is, uh, you know, I've, I've got a bachelor's in physics. So it's like, <laughs> there, there are days where I'm like, why am I, I, I could be, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I totally understand that. I yeah. totally understand. Anything you want to shout out about? Hey, I am still doing uh, the Timestamps Project over at creativecriticality.net. Um, I've been working my way through uh, Torchwood Season 1, about uh, halfway through that, and then I'll be jumping back into uh, Season 3 of uh, Doctor Who, the revival era. Uh, you can find that at creativecriticality.net, and uh, it's been been quite the ride for that, too, about about four or five years now of, of doing Doctor Who story by story. So if you want to join in and join in the fun and, and read where I've been and where I'm going, be sure to do so. Exactly. You're on Torchwood right now. It's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cool. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I do. I, uh, earlier this week, I received an awesome surprise from my nephew. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it was a much delayed uh, 50th birthday present, but uh, it was well worth the wait. It was a plush Tiki Z, Tiki Zombie in plush form, uh, based on a drawing that he did. Uh, there's a company called Bud Seeds, which will take any drawing that you do and make it into a plush uh, doll, plush figure. And uh, and it, this is good work, too. They do great. Uh, um, he's had uh, his character, uh, Super Cheese, done uh, this way and uh, getting the the Tiki Z in the mail was just it still puts a smile on my face every time I look at it it's just so awesome and uh, like I said these guys do a great job and it's not 
terribly expensive. I mean, it's a one of a kind item and it's custom made. So you can imagine that, that there is a, a tag on it, but it's not within, uh, you know, it's not with, uh, um, it's within realm of, of possibilities for people to check out. So, uh, and like I said, they do just such great work. I mean, uh, if, if, if I could, I, I would, uh, he's comfortable enough that I would sleep with him. So, um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he just feels so soft. You're talking about the plush, right? I am. Yes. Okay. I okay. am. Yes. Definitely talking about the plush. Um, but, uh, Anyway, um, so check it out. Uh, Bud Seas, I think it's BudSees.com, but you can look at it on the internet and find them. And, uh, and if you've got a drawing, they'll, they'll do a plush of it. That's pretty cool. Fantastic, sir. All right, my shout-out real quick. Um, today here on the station, it is Memorial Day as we're recording this here in the United States. And I just wanted you to, at home, thank your veterans um, people who, you know, served the country, like Mr. Faulkner, who did. And, you know, thank you, thank you for serving the country and making sacrifices and, you know, putting time towards, you know, helping to defend this country and doing some amazing things. Uh, my father was a veteran. My grandfather was a veteran. My great-grandfather was a veteran. So, you know, everyone knows a veteran and we have so much to be thankful for in this world right now. And, you know, no matter what country you're listening to us in, you know, we're relatively, you know, in a very good spot right now. There's things going on, but we're not getting into that. But thank the veterans in your lives for making the sacrifices to putting in the time to defend the country that you live in and, you know, be able to, you know, take a day off from work and, you know, not just, this is just not a day to go to the beach or go to the park or, you know, such, this is a day also to remember those who didn't make it or, you know, or did make it, but made sacrifices to do it. You know, this is just one of those times, just my, my thought. And, you know, wanted to do that. Next week, we are going to be going back to the movies, and we are going to be looking at Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That's right. It's summer movie time, and we are starting to get to our reviews, and there's a lot to talk about, and Godzilla's next on to the bat, and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk all about it. Until then, my name is Mike Faber, and we will talk to you next time here on the Air Station One Podcast. Peace, and we're done! Hey. hey! Boom! You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station 1 podcast. Peace, and we're done. 
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.